This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. A crisis in the Ukraine. A time for confidence. The Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 24, verse 6 says, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Those words, perhaps, occurred to many on February 24, 2022, when Russian troops invaded Ukraine after weeks of speculation that such a move might take place. Nonetheless, many people, including those in the news media and in the Ukraine itself, responded to the attack by being surprised. Such an attack appeared foolhardy. Surely, Vladimir Putin, a man intelligent enough to hold power in Russia for over 20 years, would never take such an unnecessary risk. As 2022 dawned, Mr. John Horvat saw the need to be prepared for whatever surprises the year would bring. Mr. Horvat decided to borrow a phrase from the great British leader, Sir Winston Churchill, to describe the mental attitude that our culture needs to adopt in order to survive. Mr. Horvat spelled this idea out in his essay, A not normal 2022 means it's time to improvise and dare. The beginning of the new year should be a time of reflection and resolution. It is a turning point to consider where we have erred during the closing year and what steps to take as we begin the new one. The new year brings a freshness that says change is possible. Indeed, sometimes the impetus from a resolution creates a good habit that remains for life. Every new year brings challenges that depend upon the state of the nation and the current phase of our lives. While years tend to be similar, 2022 will be very different. The COVID crisis, civil disorders, economic disruptions, and political chaos of the last two years have changed so much that we dare not use the word normal to describe our new world. There is not even a new normal. Such is the constantly evolving nature of things we must settle on preparing for not normal times. Surviving in 2022 will depend upon agility, energy, and confidence. Doing nothing is not an option, since we risk being overwhelmed by the turn of events. The problem with preparing for not normal times is that no specific course of action can be recommended. The very nature of chaos makes anything possible. Nobody can prepare elaborate plans for all unknown possibilities. We will go crazy if we try. No specialized course, exercise, or shopping list can help prepare when things can change from one moment to the next. Indeed, how do we prepare? Separately or all at the same time for a possible financial crash, a war with Russia and China, a socialist regime, more health problems, or an existential crisis in the church. In not normal times, the best preparations are generalized plans. We must be ready for anything. That way, we do not try to visualize all specific possibilities. 
Learning to roll with the punches keeps us from overreacting to each thing in an exaggerated way that leaves us crazy and exhausted. To better understand what this entails, we might recall a story about Churchill during World War II. A particular commander in a difficult fight with the Germans asked for instructions. Churchill sent an order with three words, improvise and dare. The commander followed his advice, and Churchill, in a flourish of grammatical audacity, wrote that the general had improvise and dare. This is how we should prepare for the not normal year of 2022. We must follow the example of those who improvise and dare, no matter how unorthodox and ungrammatical it might seem. How do we do this? How do we improvise and dare? By improvising, we mean being capable of incredible flexibility. It means taking our capacities to adapt to their limits. We must find ways around problems big and small by getting by with whatever resources are at hand. Those who improvise fight the right battles at the right times. They are not attached to their opinions and methods and are willing to turn on a dime if needed. Improvise does not mean winging it, doing things unprepared or without study. We must take all necessary precautions. We learn to work with God's grace to inspire us. When the time comes to act, we know things can change quickly and are ready to adjust accordingly. By daring, we mean taking the offensive and breaking through any barrier with the strength of will and courage. It involves taxing our capacities to attack a problem to their extreme limits. Once again, it does not mean rash or unprepared action. It also assumes working with God's grace to strengthen us. After taking all precautions, we can throw ourselves into the problem with great energy and impetus. The proper balance lies in being ready both to improvise and dare. Then we can always move forward, fully engaged in the fight, doing whatever needs to be done. As we enter 2022, we must face a not-normal world that shows no signs of returning to order. Having the right improvise-and-dare attitude will enable us to survive. It will allow us to exploit any good opportunities to act that come our way. It will mitigate the disasters that strike us. We will learn to pick the battles worth waging and fight them with resolve, agility, and energy. This attitude humbly invites us to strengthen our relationship with God, who will give us the supernatural grace to fight the battles ahead despite the odds. We can avoid the temptation to despondency and paralysis that so often weigh down the efforts of those who should defend God's cause. The year 2022 will be not normal. We should not be discouraged. In times like ours, the future belongs to those willing to improvise and dare. After the Russians attacked, the world was surprised to see a nation trusting in God and following Sir Winston's instructions. 
The Ukrainians provided a magnificent example of improvisation and daring as they refused to submit to Mr. Putin's plan for their nation. The international TFP movement has long resisted totalitarian governments of the sort that the former KGB agent tried to impose upon the Ukraine. During the early days of the crisis, the American TFP followed its long and noble tradition by lending its support in its statement, America should uphold justice and help Ukraine against Putin's unjust war. The American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP, denounces and categorically condemns President Vladimir Putin's unjust war against Ukraine and urges the Russian Federation to immediately return its troops to their barracks and indemnify the Ukrainian people for their losses. The American TFP commends President Vladimir Zelensky and the Ukrainian people for their noble and heroic resistance in defense of their homeland. The American TFP calls on President Joseph Biden and political leaders worldwide to forcefully punish Russia for its unjust war and powerfully assist the Ukraine militarily and economically, bringing the unjustifiable invasion to a quick end. The obligation for America and the world to help Ukraine and punish the Russian Federation for its unjust war does not stem only from treaties and other international agreements. Rather, it comes from natural law and the virtues of justice and charity, which everyone, including nations, is duty-bound always and everywhere to uphold in the measure possible. In the wake of the Second World War, Pope Pius XII reminded nations of this serious duty. Quote, One thing is certain. The precept of peace is of divine right. Its purpose is the protection of the goods of humanity as goods of the Creator. Some of these goods are so crucial for human coexistence that their defense against unjust aggression is undoubtedly fully legitimate. The solidarity of nations is required in this defense. They have a duty not to leave the attacked people abandoned. The certainty that this duty will be fulfilled will serve to discourage the aggressor and, therefore, to avoid war, or at least, in the worst-case scenario, to shorten the suffering." Ukraine had the right to free itself from communism in 1991. Ukraine has the right to remain free today, refusing to be enslaved by Putin's post-communist, cosmist, and pan-Slavic nationalism. It seems that beyond conquering Ukraine, Vladimir Putin's strategic goal in this unjust war is to destroy the Christian West's hegemony. From this perspective, American inaction only plays into the tyrant's hands while upholding justice by succoring the innocent victim of this immoral aggression will attract God's mercy upon our sinful nation. Accordingly, the American TFP denounces the wrong-headed isolationism and self-deception of untold American conservatives who excuse Putin's indefensible authoritarianism because they choose to see in this former KGB colonel a new Charlemagne or Constantine with a mission from God to restore Christendom. 
The American TFP calls on Pope Francis to denounce Russia's unjust war, taking advantage of this historical moment to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in union with all the Catholic bishops of the world in the exact terms requested by the Mother of God in Fatima in 1917. Further, as requested by Our Lady on that occasion, The American TFP calls on all American Catholics to pray the rosary daily, imploring God to intervene, giving Ukraine victory in this unjust war, and that Russia finally convert from its errors. Lastly, the American TFP beseeches Our Lady of Zarvansia to protect and intercede for Ukraine's valorous Catholics and bring all Ukrainians into the fold of the one true Church of her Divine Son, the Holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church, as ardently desired by St. Olga of Kiev, her grandson St. Vladimir the Great, St. Josephat the Martyr, and the millions of victims of Soviet communist persecution, including Blessed Clementi Sheptosinsky. Signed, the American TFP, February 27, 2022. During the early 90s, as the Soviet Union fell apart, a great wave of foolish optimism rolled across the world. Politicians predicted that a peace dividend caused by the end of Cold War defense spending would bring a new era of plenty to all nations. Conservatives planned balanced budgets and lower taxes. At the same time, liberals salivated at the thought of channeling those dollars into their favorite welfare and environmental programs. Globalists devised new strategies to unite a world they tried to create in their own technocratic images. The Ukrainian crisis shows just how mistaken those predictions were. Mr. John Horvat took a long look at one of those predictions and why it missed the mark in his essay, The End of History Just Ended. In 1992, American political scientist Francis Fukuyama published his famous book, The End of History and the Last Man. The author asserted that the fall of the Iron Curtain marked a milestone of immense importance for the West. He claimed that the end of the Cold War was not just, quote, the passing of a particular period of post-war history, but the end of history as such. That is, the end point of mankind's ideological evolution and the universalization of Western liberal democracy as the final form of human government, unquote. Borrowing from Hegel and Marx about the evolution of events, he predicted that henceforth liberal democracies would be the final form of government for all nations. There would be no later progression to an alternative system. Subsequent events challenged his end-of-history scenario. Terrorism, Islamic wars, and polarization all seemed to conspire against Professor Fukuyama by adding chapters to the closed history book. However, throughout the post-Cold War period, the liberal democratic system remained the ideal form of government. 
the globalized world's standardized economies using the framework and protocols developed under liberal democracy. The Fukuyama narrative limped along because no credible alternatives contested it. With the invasion of Ukraine, however, the end of history just ended. Liberal democracy appears weak, self-destructive, and unfocused. Strong alternatives are not only on the horizon, but are advancing across the landscape in the form of tanks and troop movements. The Ukraine crisis is another milestone moment when two worldviews enter into conflict, liberal democracies and autocratic regimes. The moment comes as both sides are in crisis. On the one hand, liberal democracy is in disarray. Basic institutions like family, community, and faith are coming apart, destroying the social fabric. The radical wing of liberalism is engaged in suicidal behavior as it seeks to destroy social structures deemed too oppressive. The mechanisms of the rule of law that allow the systems to resolve problems through peaceful and legal processes are breaking down. As a result, things are getting violent and unstable inside liberal democratic regimes. On the other hand, the autocratic regimes opposing liberal democracy are likewise in crisis. They face looming demographic implosions due to eroded morals or draconian population policies. Their social structures are also in disarray amid widespread corruption. However, the hard mechanisms of governmental power are put in place to give a semblance of direction to a society irreparably in decay. Thus, a clash between the two decaying systems is set in motion, jump-starting the processes of history that supposedly ended. However, it would be wrong to assume that the two systems are diametric opposites. Both are products of modernity and share many of the same philosophies. They may differ in methods, but agree on the modern version of humanity and history. Both systems have advanced in decadence to the point that they now want to overthrow oppressive structures that restrain them. Liberal democracy intends to eliminate social structures that radicals claim promote systemic oppression. Autocratic regimes want to destroy international political structures like NATO that undergird the post-war order. Thus, this conflict is not a political disagreement, but a paradigm shift to an anti-Western world. The target of the Ukrainian war is the destruction of the West as a concept. Indeed, the media are all reporting on the destruction of the post-Cold War order. They register the challenge to Western hegemony. No one contests this goal. However, most media do not allude to the dangerous alternatives that will replace the West. Russia, China, and their client states see the West as a repressive framework that must be supplanted by a deconstructed world that recycles old errors based upon nationalism, Marxism, Gnosticism, and even mystical elements. 
Whether it be Russia's pan-Slavic Eurasianism of Alexander Duggan or Xi Jinping's new era of socialism with Chinese characteristics, the overwhelming emphasis is anti-Western and pro-Marxist. On their part, the liberal democratic societies are questioning their Westernness. Critical race theory and other schemes consider the West to be the root of all evil embedded in its institutions. Thus, the West faces internal and external enemies that seek to bring down the geopolitical structures and military alliances sustaining Western hegemony. The attacks come at a moment of great Western decadence, pathetic leadership, and pandemic disharmony. The reason behind this laser focus on the West is not arbitrary. It is not a question of roughly equivalent geographic regions fighting amongst themselves. These autocratic regimes are not reacting to degenerate Western morals that deserve every condemnation. Indeed, they share the same depravities, although they manifest them differently. This anti-Western hostility focuses on the tiny lingering remnants of the Christian order that built the West. The roots of Western civilization are based on the Christian institutions, morals, and truths that make true order and progress possible. Thus, the present conflict targets this moral framework now in ruins, as well as church-generated structures like the rule of law, hierarchy, classical logic, and systematized thought that elevated the West and still exert influence. As long as this tiny platform exists, it must be safeguarded. The West must be defended. This is not done by the conflict of two decadent strains of modernity. Their fight resolves nothing. The true objective should be to defend the remnants of Christian order in the West as a springboard to a full return to order. The West must oppose, internally and externally, the deconstructed errors that target these remnants and will throw the world into chaos. However, the defense of the West can only be effective with a moral resignation that must include divine action as foreseen by Our Lady at Fatima. The end of history has ended. History once again is moving. Will the West return to order? This concludes A Crisis in the Ukraine, A Time for Confidence. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So by rating us, you can help the Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all the previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book, which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2022. 
by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.